Welcome to Be Brave at Work, a podcast devoted to helping you take the next step in your workplace. Each week, we'll be talking with real people with real stories about things they have not said or done or have said or done in their workplace that required bravery. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. This is Ed Everts, and I'm the founder and president of Excellius Leadership Development. Welcome to Be Brave at Work, a podcast devoted to helping you take the next step in your workplace. I hope you'll listen to our past podcast conversations, and if you'd like to hear past episodes, go to BeBraveAtWork.com, subscribe to our podcasts, and learn some valuable lessons about bravery at work. My new book, Drive Your Career, Nine High-Impact Ways to Take Responsibility for Your Success, is now available in paperback, on Kindle, and in audio at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and any online book retailer you prefer. Check out Drive Your Career today. Our podcast today is sponsored by Cabot Risk Strategies. Based in Woburn, Massachusetts, Cabot Risk Strategies has created innovative and customized insurance strategies for individuals and families, businesses, nonprofits, commercial real estate, and public entities. Cabot's client base continues to expand both within the region and within the markets they serve. And if you are looking for customized insurance services and solutions, contact Cabot at 800-222-5963 or visit them for more information at cabotrisk.com. I'm really excited to introduce our guest today. Kim Cameron is the William Russell Kelly Professor of Management and Organizations at the Ross School of Business and Professor of Higher Education in the School of Education, both at the University of Michigan. He is the co-founder of the Center for Positive Organizational Scholarship at the University of Michigan and helped launch a field of study focused on examining how individuals and organizations flourish by achieving extraordinary positive performance. And in fact, I think Kim is a leader on this world of positive leadership and in fact has written a couple of books specifically about the impact and existence of positive leadership in the world. And I hope that we'll hear a lot of that from him. Hi, Kim. Good to see you, Ed. Thanks very much for having me on. It is great to have you on today. And I shared with folks a little bit about your background, but I'm wondering if you could tell our listeners a little bit more about how you have come to do what you do and what it is specifically that you do today. Thanks, Ed. I'm delighted to do that. uh, Many years ago, I spent about a decade studying organizations that were downsizing, retrenching, consolidating, sort of as a result of a pandemic. Back then, it was an economic issue. But what I discovered is almost all organizations deteriorate in performance when they downsize or consolidate, retrench. No surprise there. But that left 10 or 15% of organizations that actually flourished, got a lot better. And the question became, how do you uh, explain those aberrations, that is, those that got a lot lot better? The result of that investigation was, uh, I didn't have really good data, but I had a very firm impression that the difference was the organizations that flourished were characterized by two things. One is virtuous practices. That is, they had actually implemented compassion, uh, generosity, gratitude, forgiveness, and so on. And they were led by what I refer to now as positively energizing leaders. Well, what in the world does that mean? That means people who uplift, elevate, help other people flourish, and often without expecting a return. That launched then the last 20 years of empirical research, trying to uh, make that case empirically, that is to confirm the case. So far, no empirical evidence has disconfirmed it, but 
we've confirmed it many times, organizations do especially well when they're led by positively energizing leaders who demonstrate virtuous practices. That's how I got here. Well, I love speaking with people who are experts in areas like virtuousness and positiveness, because I really believe that that is an important part of a relationship that you need to have with colleagues and bosses and subordinates in order to be brave with them. That if you have a a good, positive, influential relationship with them, your likelihood for saying something that you know may feel disruptive, uh, they know comes from a place of love and concern and helpfulness, that you're not trying to be critical or insulting to them, but you're sharing with them an observation or an experience that can be helpful. And I'm wondering if you could comment a little bit about the, you know, the value of being virtuous and positive with others, and maybe even if you can, the impact that might have on being braver with other people whom you want to help. Uh, and, and thanks, Ed. That's a really good explanation of why virtuousness, I'll spend time on virtuousness for a minute, why that's so important. The bravery part of that, interestingly, is that I encounter a lot of executives. In fact, I was on the phone this morning with some folks who were running a hospital, a bunch of doctors, scientists, and so on. And frequently, I hear something like this. Look, this is just a soupy, syrupy, saccharine sweet. I heard somebody say happy, clappy way to approach organizations. And they essentially say, look, Cameron, I've got bottom line impact I have to pay attention to. I have stock price. I have sales quotas. I got targets. I have to profitability targets I have to pay attention to. And so this is really kind of a side trip. I mean, virtuousness, come on, Cameron, I'm competitive and I've got hard nosed results that I have to create. The bravery part is that the leading indicators of those kinds of outcomes, that is profitability, productivity, quality, innovation, and so on, literally the best predictors of those outcomes have to do with virtuous practices. People, in in particular leaders, who demonstrate generosity and forgiveness and kindness and compassion and so on, those people, as it turns out, create far better results. We have, in some cases, uh, documented organizations that have gotten four times industry average results. And in one healthcare organization, actually a, a, one study of healthcare organizations, 30 different hospitals in the study, 10 times industry average in improvement. And it all has to do with the implementation of these things we call positive leadership practices, and in particular, positively energizing leaders. Well, as I have spoken to many guests on the podcast, you know, there are words that come up on a repeated basis, uh, virtuousness, authenticity, vulnerability, empathy. And I'm, I'm wondering, Kim, if we're hitting, you know, part of a new curve that Move is moving us away from the kind of the classic IBM, uh, you know, everybody wearing a suit and the boss is the boss and everybody reports to the boss to uh, a leadership style that is more humanistic, uh, as you use, forgiving and caring and generous to others as a way to keep people motivated and moving forward. And in your studies and, uh, you know, the work that you've done, I'm, I'm wondering if you can observe, you know, are we kind of hitting a point where we're needing to change how we interact with others as leaders in order to influence them more positively? 
I think it's certainly the case that the research done on these kinds of topics is relatively recent, only literally in the last 10 or 15 years, maybe 20 years or so. <clears throat> Excuse me, because the normal way to identify who the leader is, is look at an organization chart and figure out who's in the top spot. You know, uh, an alternative to that, uh, much more scientific, is to draw network maps. I mean, it's like in the back of an airline magazine. You have some cities at the hub, some on the periphery, and you connect them with airline routes. Well, you, you can do that in organizations, but instead of cities, people become the nodes. Well, the most common way to draw a network map is, for example, information networks. Who gives information to whom? Who gets information from whom? And the research is clear. If you're at the hub or center of an information network, your performance is higher, as is the unit you manage. An alternative to information is influence networks. That is, who influences whom, who is influenced by whom. And the research is clear. If you're at the center or hub of an influence network, your performance is higher, as is the unit you manage. And of course, 90% of the leadership literature equates leadership and influence. If you're influential, that means you're a leader. However, we've done interesting work, at least for interesting for me. You can also draw an energy or a positive energy network. Who energizes whom? Who is energized by whom? Turns out positive energy, your position in the positive energy network is four times more important in predicting performance then your performance, uh, then your uh, position in the influence network or the information network. Energy trumps influence by a factor of four. And see, organizations always managing information. Did you come to the meetings, you get the memo, you understand where we're going. They're always managing influence. Here's the target, here's the goals, here's the incentive. The question is, does anybody ever manage, pay attention to energy? I mean, does anybody ever get rewarded or recognized or promoted or hired for being a positive energizer because it's four times more important in predicting performance. So what we're doing is studying positive energy and how it makes a difference. Well, I love this topic of energy. I'm a big fan of what I call energy management. Well, I shouldn't say I call it, uh, you know, others call it, but I echo that statement about managing energy because, you know, there are people, and I think all of our listeners can relate to the fact that there are people, if you're at a party, who show up and the energy just raises, right? There's just something about them that generates more enthusiasm and excitement and energy. And then there are some people who are probably neutral. Energy doesn't go either way. And then there are probably some people who come in and the energy drops, right? And sometimes it could be the most senior leader, right? You're at a dinner party and you're talking with a bunch of friends and then a senior leader walks up into your group and suddenly everybody goes quiet because they're not connected to or don't have a relationship with the person and energy drops. So I love that model. And I love, yeah, I love the impact uh, and the thought that you're putting forth, especially to our listeners on how to be brave at work, because I definitely believe in order to be brave at work, you have to exist in a culture that warrants and rewards and recognizes bravery, but you also have to have relationships with others and you have to ensure that relationship provides positive energy. If you want to talk to me about something that you think may be hard for me to hear, if I know you to be a positive energy person and well-meaning and caring, I'm going to receive it way better than somebody that I either have a neutral or negative impression with or don't have a relationship with, right? So it's it's hard Not to me. talk with somebody about something if we don't even have a relationship whatsoever. 
Boy, that's exactly right. And in fact, what's important about what you've said, Ed, and you've done it really well, there are several kinds of energy. Physical energy, I mean, there are lots of charismatic, uh, you know, people who jump in first. Physical energy, when used, diminishes. Over time, you get tired. That is, if I run a marathon, I can't do it again. I got to have recovery time. Emotional energy is the same. Mental energy is the same. I'm going to need semester breaks and weekends. The only kind of energy that elevates with use, that is, it's self-reinforcing, is called relational energy. And that's what you've just described. The extent to which in our relationship, I am uplifting, elevating, life-giving to you rather than exhausting and depleting. So the relational energy notion is the kind of thing we study that accounts for high performance, both of individuals and organizations. It's not just being charismatic. It's not just being the first person to respond. It's not just making sure everybody notices me. It's much more likely to be a product of the virtuous activities or demonstration of virtuousness that occurs. Well, I love that. Uh, description, and I'm reminded of a, a phrase a colleague used to describe another colleague, and he described this other colleague as a high transaction person, which meant anytime we connected, I was always so drained because it was this, and then this, and then that, and then this, and then that, and it was just like like high transaction, right? Anytime the person walked into the room, they kind of drained the energy because they were so buzzed up about whatever they were buzzed up about, they probably thought they were high energy, but the relationship they were having with others really zapped energy in the room. So you have taken a lot of these thoughts, Kim, and I believe have uh, either published or will be publishing a new book about positive energizing leadership. Can you remind us of the title and tell us a little bit about what your goals and outcomes were for that book? Thank you. Uh, And this book is called Positively Energizing Leadership, and it really is a book that I wanted to publish because so far it, there has never been uh, a book published or, or academic work published showing the empirical evidence that positive energy actually matters. Not only that, but there's the reason it does matter, the explanation, is something called the heliotropic effect. Now, that's kind of a jargonist term, but the notion is every living system has a tendency toward the light or toward positive energy and away from negative energy. See, in nature, the sun is the source of positive energy. It's the life-giving force. I mean, photosynthesis happens only in the presence of light. So it turns out, applied to human beings, we can uh, verify, and there's lots of evidence, just not been uh, made available yet, except in this book, Lots of evidence that says people flourish in the presence of positive energy. They languish in the presence of negative energy. And once we really confirm that's true, believe that's true, then it has all kinds of implications for leaders. Well, how do I be a positively energizing leader? How do I foster more positive energy in an organization or in my relationships or with my children and so on? has big implications. So that's what the book's about. It's just trying to make the case and to provide lots of hints, lots of practices, lots of uh, examples of how how one might uh, try to elevate or enhance the positive energy in a system. 
Well, I will tell you as kind of a first time listener to this topic and having uh, worked as a leadership coach for 14 years and as a corporate business professional for 20 years, energy is palpable that, you know, when somebody has high energy, positive energy, not just, you know, uh, active energy, but positive influential energy, you know, they can turn heads and turn an organization in a way that somebody else may not have been able to. And, you know, I do believe that, you know, we all have that kind of photosynthesis type belief, right? That, you know, I do believe, for example, I self-diagnose myself as having seasonal disorder, that during the winter, when it's dark until 6, 6.30 in the morning, you know, I sleep till 6, 6.30 in the morning to 7 in the morning. During the summer, when the sun's up at 5, you know, I'm awake, right? I am up and ready to go. And uh, if it's rainy out or, you know, when it gets dark out, which of course is mostly in the winter, you know, my energy goes down. So I, I do believe that this idea that you're sharing about positive energy and uh, just energizement of teams, of people, of ideas is extremely realistic. And, you know, I hope your book is a huge success. I know I will be buying a copy and reading it. Well, you're very kind. And I I will never be a New York Times bestseller because it's too empirical, but I want <laughs> that data to be available because people who take it seriously, I think, can use it. Well, when you think about bravery at work, Kim, uh, you know, are there uh, beyond what you've already shared, which is a lot, you know, are there any other words or phrases you might think of or share that you think of when you think about being braver at work? You know, the bravery part of virtuousness um, Ed, is, is, that, is that it tends to be seen as soft, grandmother's advice. It's just what uh, everybody already knows this. And so, you know, uh, let's not even pay attention. It doesn't get the attention it needs. But as it turns out, uh, you have to kind of buck the resistance and uh, being kind in the face of uh, opposition, being virtuous uh, in the face of a hostile, caustic, critical environment. I mean, we're in a place right now in our culture where almost everything is divisive. It's uh, critical. It's you're not on my side, you're one of them or something. In those kinds of situations, it becomes very difficult to be an example of virtuous activity or virtuous uh, behavior, to be empathetic, to be to contribute, to be grateful to be forgiving, to be humble, and so on. Those attributes generally are not compatible with the normal, you know, sort of caustic environment that we find ourselves in a lot. But you think about if we could, if every if every human being in every interaction prioritized the virtuous response, if when I interact with somebody even who has a very different point of view than mine, if I respond with kindness, understanding, empathy, which doesn't mean soft, doesn't mean I give up, doesn't mean I I don't hold a strong position, doesn't mean my values are now wishy-washy. But when I behave in a virtuous way, all of a sudden, all of those really uh, difficult difficult relationships we, we have, all the caustic conflict just diminishes. You know, the chaos uh, mitigate, is mitigated. So, my uh, my advice 
and it sounds like uh, philosophy or religion or something, but it turns out it's empirically confirmed really good leadership is that leaders who, who decide they really want bottom line results, leaders who decide they want employees who have high well-being, high productivity, who go the extra mile, demonstrate positive energy, which is a product of virtuous behavior. Well, any of the listeners to our podcast know that I am a big fan of the word empathy. I believe empathy is the word of the decade as it relates to leadership. Uh, it's in its early infancy stages right now, but I continue to see it more and more, and it continues to be more empirical in respect to how people are relating it. I believe it is a highly underutilized strategic behavior on the part of leaders in order to build relationships and move people forward. So uh, a takeaway for me today, Kim, is to add two words to empathy, which is uh, virtuousness and forgiveness, because I think all of those are going to be a roadmap to being an effective leader in the coming century, that we're moving away from the hierarchical boss subordinate type relationship. And we're going to follow people who treat us like people and not roles or capabilities that uh, we might have. So I have loved speaking with you today, Kim. Thank you so much for your time. If people wanted to hear more about the work that you're doing or find out more about positive energy, how can they reach out to you? Thank you, Ed. Um, the best way probably is just on email, which is just my name, Kim, K-I-M underscore Cameron, C-A-M-E-R-O-N, at U-M-I-C-H, that's University of Michigan, dot E-D-U. That's probably the easiest way to connect. Fantastic. Well, I hope Lots of people reach out to you. Again, I'm going to be purchasing your book, and I look forward to reading it. And thank you so much for your time and thoughts today. Thank you very much, Ed. It's been just such a delight to be with you. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us this week, and we hope you join us next week as we further explore Being Brave at Work. We also remind you to subscribe to our podcast at BeBraveAtWork.com and or download and listen to our podcast on multiple online platforms. We are everywhere. Our podcast today was sponsored by Cabot Risk Strategies, who you can reach at 800-222-5963 or visit them for more information at cabotrisk.com. And a reminder to check out my new book, Drive Your Career, Nine High-Impact Ways to Take Responsibility for Your Own Success, which is available in paperback, on Kindle, and in audio everywhere online. Do you have something to say yet are not saying it? Do you have something to do yet are not doing it? Now is the time to be brave at work. Have a great week.